Today's reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you are died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its patience and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jews, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, close yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ root in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome back. Um, thank you, Sophie, for reading. Uh, could I ask you to take out your Bibles? Um, we're going to go through 17 verses rather quickly, and I think it's a really rich uh, verses, and uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, it would help you um, if you look down and open up the Bible and read it um, as we go through it. But let me pray for us uh, as we start. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord, we pray that as we come to it, uh, Lord, we pray that your word will come among us and that let us dwell in it richly. Lord, let it transform our minds and our hearts that we may be lifted up from this sort of earthly sphere and to see who you are and see who we are in you and help us then to live in the light of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but my favorite part, the favorite part of my uh, of Spider-Man movie uh, for me was when uh, Peter Parker learns that he has become Spider-Man. 
uh, in 2002 movie at least, he wakes up and he's a bit of a nerd, like, you know, and he takes up, he takes his glasses and he puts his glasses up just to realize actually that with his glasses, he actually can't see as clearly anymore. Actually, he doesn't need his glasses. He's got perfect sight now. And he is in front of a mirror and he's about to walk away. And when he catches himself and he goes, oh, I have muscles <laughs> and he flexes um, his arms and he lifts up his shirt and he, there's a six pack out there and it's a bit clumsy at first but he learns to climb the wall shoot the the the, the web uh, from his wrist and he learns to fly well I mean he can do all of those things because he's become spider-man today's passage as you see it, actually, there are a lot of lists of things that we are to do, right? Set your mind on Christ. Get rid of these old self and put on compassion and kindness. Uh, um, forgive one another. Love one another. Let the word of Christ dwell within you rich. I mean, all these things are things that we are to do. But this passage, I want you to know as we go through it, is not really about what we are uh, to do. It's not about how we should live. At the heart of it is about our identity. It's about who we are. Paul is saying, look, who you were before, that's over. You have died and now you have risen again with Christ. And you have become a new people, a new people of God. And we are a people then who dwell in the word of God richly, word of Christ richly, and speak that to one another. So uh, as we go through it, keep that in mind. Well, in the past two chapters, Paul has been reminding us of who Christ is, who Jesus is. And he's this glorious God who's created the heavens and the earth. He's the creator of everything. Everything is created for him. He sustains everything. And he is the head over the new creation. To uh, trade that uh, to something else, to be captivated and kidnapped um, by something else, uh, some other philosophy or some mysticism or angel worship or whatever it is, that would be utter foolishness. No, we have entered into a relationship with Jesus, with Jesus. And the kind of relationship that we've entered into Jesus is actually the closest thing that we have on earth is marriage. It's a, it's, a, it's a relationship between husband and wife where we become one with Jesus. That's what he means as you look down in verse 1 when he says, you have been raised with Christ. And when you see it again in verse 3, you have died with Christ and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We have become one with Christ. And that changes everything. That changes who we are. Think about it. Uh, when Mary and I got married, we are sort of a union of equals. I mean, Mary is prettier than I am, and she's wiser than I am, and she's a much better person in general than I am, but, you know, roughly mar marriage of equals. Uh, but when I became one with Jesus, actually, this wasn't a marriage of equals. This wasn't a union of equals. Jesus, as we have seen, is the creator of heavens and the earth. He's the, this almighty God. He's the he, his definition of righteousness and perfection and holiness and love and beauty. That's who he is. And I am not those things. And yet, 
God in Jesus uh, came down and he has loved us, he's redeemed us, and he's taken us up to himself and has made himself at one with us, that our life is now hidden in Christ, in God. We have become one with Jesus. And that means when God looks at us, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ. When he looks at us, he sees his righteousness and holiness and goodness. We are at the bosom of Christ, and he treats us as he treats his son. You see, being a Christian isn't making minor improvements in your life. It's not having a better you, right? Being in relationship with Jesus changes everything. It changes who you are, your very identity. It's exchanging our impoverished and broken self and dying uh, to that self. Being united with God, with Christ in, uh, through baptism, being raised and finding ourselves united with Jesus next to God, seated at the right hand of God. That's who we have become. That's who we are. And I wonder if that's how you see yourself. Is that how you see yourself? Are you a failure? Are you broken? Are you an addict? Are you less than? Are you sinful? Are you rejected? Are you lost? Are you unlovable? Are you selfish and difficult? Are you an outsider? By the way, if you can't identify with any of those things, you probably, there's a good chance you might not be a Christian. But if you do identify with these things, but you have turned to Jesus, friends, you have become a new person. You are a Christian who died and rose again with Christ, seated at the right hand of God. You might not feel that way, but that's who you are, and that's certainly how God treats us. Certainly, it takes faith to believe that right now. It does. As long as heaven and the earth are separated, until the day when heaven comes down to earth, we will have to believe that. We'll have to preach that to ourselves again and again and again. But that day, when we see our true selves, will come. Paul says so in verse 4. Right? Um, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That day will come. You will see yourself as you truly are. Until then, we live by faith. We stop defining ourselves by our earthly successes and failures, and we see ourselves through faith who we are in Christ. We tell that to ourselves. And it's only then we, begin, we can begin to change. It's only when we know who we are, we, get, we can begin to change. I mean, if Peter Parker didn't believe who he was, I mean, didn't believe that something happened to him, right? He wouldn't practice all these other things. It's only when we see ourselves truly, that's who we are, raised uh, uh, in, in, in heaven with Christ, we'll be able to put to death our earthly nature and say, that is not us. It's weird. I mean, Barney's older than Corey, but when Barney sees a spider, um, he runs away. He's very scared. But when Corey sees a spider, she walks up and she just squashes it. She just 
puts it to death. And we are to deal with our sinful nature the way that Corey deals with spider. Take a look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Let's face it. These desires come naturally to us, doesn't it? I mean, when people indulge in pornography or engage in adultery or even prostitution, they're not going against their own desires. That's who they are. I mean, that, that, that's, that's who they are inside. And greed. I mean, it comes so naturally to us. We built a whole economic system to make greed work for us. But friends, Paul says here that that is not who we are. That is not who we are. Don't buy into the Western culture's lie that says actually what you feel inside, how you feel inside, that's who truly, uh, that, that's who you are truly. That you just need to be affirmed. No, that's not true. When we look at ourselves truly inside, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that we are sinners, that we need redemption, that our, we are not, uh, we're not right. Friends, we have been raised with Christ. The earthly nature is not who we are. We need to squash it, as Richard Baxter famously said. We need to kill sin before it kills us. Lent is a time of this focused attention to our sins, to put it to death. Let's do it. Let's, let's try to do this. Let's focus on our sinful nature and to putting it to death. Let's do it with others. In this season, what a great time to do that. Verse 8, rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Of course, it's easier said than done. Theologians tell us that idolatry of idols cannot just be replaced. I mean, it cannot just be gotten rid of. It needs to be replaced. Something else needs to occupy our heart. And that's why this passage started out with put your mind, set your mind on things above. See who you are in Jesus. See who you are and treasure that. And in order to treasure Jesus, I think we need to see how God has treasured us, how we have become his treasure. We have become his treasure. Look at the extent to which that Jesus went to make us his treasure, how he died for us, how he rose again for us. Now he hides us in his bosom. Let's treasure that because Christ has treasured us. He's made us his delight. So lift your eyes to him and put to death your earthly nature. Of course, we don't do this alone. We can't do this alone. We do it together as people of God. Yeah. As people of God, that's good. After all, the you here, um, all the yous in this passage are you plural. You here is the church, the people of God. And you should know that the paragraph divisions aren't inspired. I think verse 9 should start a new paragraph because verse 9 and on for the rest of our reading really is about how we are to be as a church together, not as individuals. Um, and so verse 9, it tells us not to lie to one another. Well, why not? Because lie tears a community apart, 
right? I mean, we can see that uh, in the U.S. or even Hong Kong with all the fake news. When lies are introduced, when we can't agree on what the truth is, actually there's no unity, there's just division. And we can't have that because we are a people of God. We are one in Christ. Take a look at verse 11. Here, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, a barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. No longer do racial differences matter, Gentile or, the, or, or Jews. There are no super Christian and, and, and uh, ordinary Christian, circumcised or not circumcised. It doesn't matter whether you're an educated Athenian or uh, speak barbarian or you're from some sort of new territories of Scythia. It doesn't matter your social standing, slave or free. Because none of these matter, because Christ is in all. Now, Christ is everything. Christ is all and is in all. This was what it means is Jesus is everything to us. For each one of us who's been saved by Jesus, Jesus is literally everything. And now we recognize that Jesus is in everyone who have turned to Christ. Christ is all and is in all. And that was the plan all along. God's people weren't supposed to be limited to an ethnic, ethnic nation or political nation of Israel. God's people were supposed to be made up of people of every nation, all kinds of people. No, not yet there. All kinds of people there. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, we are designed to be made up of people all over the world. The church is the new Israel. And, and if you look at verse 12, it's unmistakable language that God is using, what, what Paul is using. He's saying uh, that we're a chosen nation, holy people, dearly beloved. This is unmistakably Exodus language. That what applied to Israel is now applies to church. We are the kingdom of God. We are God's people, which is why, why our unity is so important, because it tells the world, actually, a new world is coming, new world that is united under Christ. This is why we say, lay aside our nationalism when we come to church. When we come to a church and see others, we put that aside. We put aside our political preferences. We put aside our affinity uh, towards certain group of people. You know, a certain group of people who are educated in a certain way, who speak in a certain way, of certain social status or wealth or whatever. We put that aside because we say to ourselves and to one another, Christ is everything. And here, Christ is in you. I recognize that. We are one in Christ. That's what we say. And if we don't do this, we're saying that uh, these other things, our political preferences, nationalities, wealth, or a social status, or whatever, is more important to me than Christ. And that can't be. Of course, being a diverse community is really, really hard. Being united uh, is really, really hard. Being a family of different nations, that's just uh, of, of, of yellow and blue are political differences. You know, people from mainland and people from Hong Kong, uh, Japan, uh, Japanese and Koreans, or whatever your nationality is, being one in Christ is really, really hard. And we can only do this if we really tap into the source of our unity. We tap into the source of our unity and see how he has treated us. 
and we let that be transform, let that transform us, and that's how we treat others. So Paul says, put on Christ. Go to Christ. Go to Christ. Put on Christ and treat one another as God has treated you. And the list of characteristics that we are to put on starts in verse 12, but take a look at verse 13, the end of verse 13. I think that sort of encapsulates um, the, the sentiment here. Forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Paul's saying, you've been forgiven. God treated you with forgiveness. So forgive one another. And that's uh, verse 12 too, right? The list of characteristics, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Well, these are the ways that God treated Israel. The ways that God treated us. So go to Him and see how you've been treated and treat one another that way. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And just as God has loved you, Put on love, just as God has made peace uh, to, uh, peace with us. Uh, let that peace rule in your heart and let that be uh, the thing that rules over that community. You are called to peace. You know, I once confronted someone from our church one-to-one, face-to-face. It didn't go so well. And advice that I got uh, from a person was actually, you know, in Chinese culture, just confrontation, direct confrontation, one-to-one, that's not a, a good thing. You might have been better if you went through a mediator. Well, I, con- I, I, I confronted another person through sort of a mediator. And this, this time, this American person got really offended that I didn't come and talk to him directly. You know, our church is a minefield of cultural misunderstandings, right? Where people of all sorts of nations and cultures, but actually that's every church. Every church is a minefield of misunderstandings and hurt and all those things because we're sinners. The church is made up of people like me. You think it's easy to live with me? I mean, ask Mary. But I actually know that it's not easy to live with you either. I mean, I talk to many of your husbands and your wives as well. You're not that easy to live with either. You see, we are sinners. But we can continue to love one another. We can go on because there is a source that changes us. We go to God. We go to Christ. And we say, God, Christ. And we remind ourselves of how we've been treated. And we put on Christ. We put on Christ. We treat one another as Christ has treated us. Church, the kingdom of God has already come. It's us. It's the church. We are it. And we need to be united for the sake of the world. To show the world that unity under Christ is what is coming. That unity, such unity is possible. But it's only possible if we continue to go to Christ and put on Christ. And to put on Christ also means to dwell richly in His Word, in the Word of Christ. Verse 16, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. By the way, uh, the, the word message uh, is, in Greek, it's just logos. It's, it's a word. Let the word of Christ dwell uh, among you richly. I had a great time with my links group um, last Wednesday. 
we're doing one-to-one -one training in Lynx. Um, so uh, I cheated a little bit. I assigned our, 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 our group um, this passage, the passage that I was going to preach from, um, so I could hear a little bit um, as well. And so we divided into one-to-one -one and spent about 25 minutes in one-to-one -one, and then we came back and we shared what we've learned. And it was wonderful because it was a feast of God's word. It was, it was evident uh, to, to, to me uh, that we dwelt richly in God's word. And what we're saying to one another was formed and shaped by what we read and what we learned. We were teaching and admonishing one another with the word of God, with the words that have been transformed by the word of God. It was church in action. It was church in action in doing the ministry of teaching and admonishing. But it's not just the church in action. This is actually the Holy Spirit in action as well. You know, we often think that there is a separation between God's word and the work ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul doesn't see it that way. In parallel passage in Ephesians 6, you know, uh, he says, put on the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be filled with the Word of God. And being filled with the Word of God means being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not that they are one and the same. And as the Spirit works through His Word, we're transformed. We put on Christ. We're transformed to live out our calling in the church and in the wider world. Friends, does the Word of God dwell richly among you? Do you spend time with God's Word? Do you attend Link's group? And do you speak? Do you do this? Do you teach and admonish with the words that have been transformed by God's Word? We need to do that. We're not supposed to speak just about our experience or what we've learned from our own wisdom. No, I mean, other people can do that too. As we come to church, as we come to Christ, we dwell in the Word of Christ. We speak to one another words that have been transformed by the Word of God. But there is another way that we minister. We teach and admonish uh, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts, in your hearts. Our time of singing is not uh, just our personal worship time when we uh, just go to God. It's time of teaching and admonishing one another, right? Through psalms and hymns and through these spiritual songs. I don't have to tell you how powerful music can be, right? It can transform us. It can move us. It can really touch our hearts. I mean, often people are moved to tears through music. But actually, it's not just in the church. People are in tears in Justin Bieber's concert, right? People listen to Beethoven and they're moved. What sets, us, what sets what we do apart is the Word of God that's dwelling richly among these words, the words that we sing. It's the Word of God and the Spirit that goes out with those words to touch us, to change us, to teach and admonish us. This is one aspect of the church that I miss the most that we can't really duplicate online. We can't teach and admonish as we sing together, right? As we worship together. I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll come back the first chance that we can come back and meet and do this together. Let's sing. 
with hymns and psalms, with spiritual songs. And let's teach and admonish one another and let uh, the word of God then dwell among us richly. In almost any bookstore you go to, self-help section is one of the biggest sections. You know why? Because people are unhappy. Their lives are broken. Their lives are, are poor. Um, and we want our lives to be better. So there are all these books out there, but fundamentally, all those books, I mean, they might change you a little bit, but they're addressing, they're like, once again, cosmetic surgery. It's just superficial. For us to really change, for us to really be the people that we really want to be, not just as individuals, but as a community, we need a new identity. We need Jesus. Church, you have been made new. You have died and you have risen again with Christ. In Christ is your life hidden. And we are now a people of God, a new community of God. Let's live that out. Let's speak that to one another, remind us, uh, each other, of who we are, and let our, let's set our minds on things above. And whatever you do, as he concludes in verse 17, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, uh, the Father, through him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the transformation that we have received. Lord, help us not to listen to the lies of this world that says we are all these, our sinful nature, that we are our successes or our failures or whatever it is. Lord, help us to see who we are in Christ. Help us to see the richness and the glory of being seated at the right hand of God the Father right now. Uh, being treated as you treat your own son, Jesus. Help us to see the richness of that. And Lord, help us to be a community where Christ is everything. And where we see Christ in everyone. Lord, help us to be a united church. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of the whole world. And Lord, may we, all of us, dwell in your word richly daily. May we dwell in your word as we meet with one another. May we speak and teach and admonish with all wisdom that comes from you. Lord, we thank you that you have done this. You have transformed us already. That there is richness and power in you. We thank you that you are at work in us even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.